0: If you're the owner of a small to mid-sized business, you might very well think that the R&D tax credit is too daunting to tackle. After all, how do you know which method of calculating it is best for your SMB? While there are in fact several methods of calculation that can apply to your expenses, Common sentiment tends to lean toward the alternative simplified credit or ASC. But why? Is it the fact that it only demands documentation from the past three years? What if you have more than three years worth of qualifying expenditures on today's episode of The Fiona Show R&D Tax Credit? We're going to unpack credit calculation through the lens of SMBs. And spoiler alert, the ASC is in fact one of several effective methods for calculating your R&D tax credit. But to help us with today's deep dive into R&D for SMBs, I'll be speaking with manager of R&D tax incentives at Cross-Border Solutions, Lydia Clowney. Welcome back, Lydia. Thank you so much for being with us.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: Let's start with the ASC. We know that tax professionals and legislators have been calling for the alternative simplified credit to be raised for years now. We've done a whole episode diving into the history and efficacy of the ASC before. But now that we're examining it through this particular lens of its helpfulness to small and mid-sized businesses, let, let's go back over the details here.
1: Yeah, we can do a little refresher first. The alternative simplified credit was uh, established in I think, 2006, and it was an alternative to the method that was there from the beginning, from the, the start of the R&D tax incentive in the U.S., which we call the regular method. And the regular method looks back at a historical period of qualified research expenses and gross receipts in order to come up with a, a comparison we can use for current year credits. In the US, we have an incremental credit. It's called the credit for increasing research activities. So that implies we have to compare the current year against something to see if we've increased it. And for the traditional, the the regular credit method, if you're a company that was established and doing business and incurring qualified research expenses in the 1980s, you actually have to look all the way back to the 1980s to come up with that comparison figure. And for a lot of companies, I mean, that can be incredibly difficult. If you were even capturing that information in the 80s, do you have it on hand? I mean, for a lot of companies, things weren't digitized at that point. You might have to go digging back through boxes to to try to find something in the basement to to support some of these numbers. And if you weren't around then, then then what do you do? You probably just throw up your hands and you say, well, I don't know. I don't have any idea. I'm going to use the ASC, the Alternative Simplified Credit Method, Because that method allows us to look back at a three-year rolling average just before the credit year. So you can see it's much more simple in terms of looking at much more recent expenses as opposed to, you know, going to those boxes in the basement.
0: So Lydia, why are SMBs in particular often the focus of government initiatives centered on boosting R&D investment?
1: Yeah, the government loves small businesses. This is a great driver of economic activity. If you even think about on a personal level, like a newly married couple setting up their first house, they're going to buy everything. And a new business is is kind of the same way. It means that they have to kind of do everything fresh. And so with that comes a lot of economic activity. And it's kind of helpful to small businesses. It's more likely that that money that they're bringing in and then going back out is going to go back out to the community or stay within the United States. So that can compound the activity that's going on as well. Definitely a lot of other countries have more targeted uh, benefits or or initiatives that are specifically for small and medium-sized businesses. Uh, Many other countries have special enhanced credit rates for those small businesses. That's certainly something that we could look at at potentially asking for within the U.S. as well. Or even other countries often have provisions that allow credits to be refunded to small businesses. So this whole time we've been talking about how can a a U.S. taxpayer that's in losses monetize this credit? Well, in another country, that same small business that in the U.S. can't monetize wouldn't have to be a taxpayer in a tax position in order to get that benefit they'd simply get a check from the government. Um, so that would be another way that that the U.S. government could look to support those small businesses even more so.
0: Of course, and SMBs obviously don't have the same amount of resources to allocate specifically to R&D like larger companies, which can have multiple R&D facilities, each with their own R&D teams. What are the unique challenges along those lines that SMBs face When allocating resources to R&D, how can they overcome these challenges to take full advantage of the credit themselves?
1: I can understand a small business looking at a big business and saying, well, they have a dedicated R&D department. It must be so simple for them or they already have this process in place, so they just need to execute on it. But I would really push back on that. I, I kind of disagree. I think it's it's actually easier for small businesses to understand their own activity and to document it and to support it. Uh, yes, yeah, sometimes that does mean creating some procedures, uh, particularly around saving documentation, records retention is a wonderful, boring area that we can certainly get into <laughs> at a, another call, another podcast here, but uh, the small businesses are in a really good position in some respects because. They're intimately aware of everything going on at the company. It's been a running theme in our conversations that we shouldn't look to only specific departments or specific job titles to find this R&D. In the US, a lot of things that can seem routine or normal course of business, or we've talked about even the maintenance department sometimes being involved in these development efforts. So the cool thing about those small businesses is that a lot of times those managers or the owners... They know what's going on. They know that Jim and maintenance spent a month trying to improve the procedure for for getting the conveyor belt from point A to point B, or, or whatever it was. And so they're really well placed to find every dollar, to know where it is in the accounting records, and you know sometimes to set up a, a simple procedure for capturing some of that documentation. So I I would really say that there's a benefit to being small in that sense.
0: Everybody wearing multiple hats means everyone has a very large sphere uh, of awareness and very little unknown unknowns. Well, at least in in, in a few senses. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross Border Solutions weekly transfer pricing podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. I know an exhausted term is unprecedented, but what makes 2021, what makes now such an important time, such an easy time to have this conversation uh, about the ASC and how it's all connected to the state of SMBs?
1: I think we're in kind of a, a difficult time here, and there's a couple aspects to this. Certainly, COVID-19 pandemic. Companies, particularly those small businesses, are in sometimes a really precarious position. And then also, we have a provision that's coming into play here in 2020. And this was part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of of 2017. And what it said is that starting in 2022, and you can see there's a five year delay period from when the law was passed to when this provision actually goes into place. But starting in 2022, companies will not be allowed to immediately expense their research and development expenses. And this, I mean, this is huge. This is a game changer. Uh, When we look at R&D expenses, we're looking at a code section called 174. And there's always been an allowance in 174 that taxpayers can elect to either expense immediately those R&D expenses and take them as current year deductions in the tax year in which they're incurred or they can opt to capitalize and amortize those expenses over a five-year period. Now, it's not that many companies that elect to capitalize and amortize it. There are tax planning reasons for doing so if you have certain facts and circumstances, but it's not that many companies that want to delay income tax deduction, right? If we have more deductions, our income, our taxable income goes down, our tax goes down. Those are typically all really good things. So, (laughs) the trouble here is that we can't make that election anymore. Everyone, unless this provision is changed, everyone will be forced into this capitalization and amortization of their R&D expenses. And so that's a double hit. You know, we talk about the R&D tax credit being a double dip where we get the deduction and we get the credit. Well, this is going to be a double hit where we we're going to have to delay the deduction and we're going to have to delay some of those credits. So You could say, oh, it's just a timing difference. We'll get them eventually. But for small businesses in particular, that kind of timing difference can be a a killer. I mean, if you need cash flow now, you can't wait for five years to get the deduction and get that credit.
0: Stormy skies on the horizon indeed. And let's go ahead and address the elephant in the room at that point. The idea that the ASC is the go-to credit calculation for small and mid-sized businesses. Uh, Why is this the prevailing wisdom currently? And what are SMB owners not realizing about their R&D opportunities? I do think there's
1: a little bit of a misconception. I think it goes right back to the name. You know, we call it the alternative simplified credit. The logic would follow that that's the simple way to do it. And for a lot of companies, that's true. If we go back to the example of a company that was around in the 80s, but just maybe didn't keep great records, and now we have to go digging back through boxes, or maybe those records don't even exist anymore, it can be really tough to quantify expenses in that historical period or to support them on exam. Maybe they don't exist. Or or you might be thinking, well, hey, I wasn't even around in the 80s. How am I supposed to go back and figure expenses for a period where my company didn't even exist? And so, folks, look to the ASC. It's pretty simple. I think a lot of tax preparers like to do it because it's more normalized at this point. And because, again, you only have to look at those recent years in order to compute it. But there are other calculation methods. And depending on your facts and circumstances, the other calculation methods may even be easier to do than alternative simplified. So, uh, let's say you're a totally new startup. You've only been around for a handful of years. Maybe, let's say, you've only three years where you've had gross receipts and qualified research expenses. So for the first say five years, you get to take a shortcut for the regular method where, I mean, you're not around in the 1980s. We're not looking at that period, but you don't really even need to do anything besides your quantification of qualified research expenses in the current year. Again, because of this little shortcut that we get to take and you get to use a flat percentage to compute your, the comparison period, we call it the base period. And so in that circumstance, it's actually much simpler to do the regular method instead of the alternative simplified because I'm only looking at one credit year. And the kicker too is that in those cases, the regular method tends to be a lot more lucrative as well. That's right. Yeah. And the cool thing about this too, is that you get to choose every year. If you're filing a timely return, you're you're getting to make that choice every single year. Well, actually even on amended returns, you get to make the choice of of which one's most beneficial to you. And so... If you're really doing your due diligence, or if your consultant maybe is doing their due diligence, they're going to look at both methods. They're going to compute both methods, and then they're going to present both to you and say, which one would you rather take? And you're probably going to pick the one with the higher credit.
0: Now, all that said, just with the timing of amortization, it's probably wise for companies to get their R&D credits now, at least before it happens, right?
1: I absolutely agree with that. It's always easier to, to be doing this on a consistent basis while certainly we do have ability to amend returns and you know go back in and claim credits if we didn't do it uh, on the original tax filing it's always harder to do it and, and and i would say too you're almost certainly missing some credit there as we try to look back and memories get hazy it's just not likely that you're really capturing all of the development activity that you were doing. So we always recommend that you're doing this, at least looking at uh, expenses on a a consistent basis year over year. Certainly with the amortization provision coming into play, I think, you know, kind of get it while the getting is good. And if it goes away, at least you've taken the benefit that was eligible to you at that point. Now at the same time, because of some of these recent events, COVID, competition from, from China and from other countries, there is pretty wide bipartisan support for uh, enhancing the research and development provisions within the tax code. And so, sure, on the one hand, we have this kind of stick that is the amortization under 174 that might go into play. But on the other hand, we're in kind of a fertile ground, a fertile time period for maybe seeing some enhancements of the credit instead and there are some people that suggest that the amortization provision and having to address that, having to you know bring it up as legislation and talk about it in Congress, that that might be able to be the spur for opening up some of these regulations. So while they're trying to maybe repeal that provision, they might also look to expanding other ones. So that would be the carrot in the analogy. And, and you'd certainly want to be setting yourself up for taking advantage of
0: Solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of cross border solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai TP. That's xbs.ai slash TP. Yes, and particularly for SMBs, the payroll offset. Is the provision that makes it valuable to compute credits while you're still relatively small and don't owe much or any taxes. Is there anything on the horizon that might allow for that kind of non-income tax monetization, which would arguably be more valuable than raising the credit rate?
1: Yeah, I see your point there, right? If you're not paying tax and you're not eligible for the payroll offset, then it sort of doesn't matter if maybe Congress gets together and says that, hey, the credit rate's now... 20% instead of 14% under the ASC. So yeah, you make a really good point there. And that's actually one of the provisions that were, you know, I think might be something we might see out of future legislation is expanding the opportunity to take that payroll offset. So for companies that are in losses, to be able to monetize through a different avenue. Currently, the payroll offset is available to only certain companies. You have to be basically new. You can't have had gross receipts and qualified research expenses for more than, say, five years. So it's a pretty small group of companies that are able to take advantage of that. And and one of the terrible things we see is that a lot of times companies aren't aware of the provision until it's too late to claim it. You know, you're a startup. You're probably worrying about a lot of other things that are, you know, your core business and are really crucial. You're growing your customer base. You're developing your app, whatever. You might not be thinking about that optional beneficial tax provisions that you could be taking advantage of. So we hate to see this when, when companies don't realize it exists until it's too late. But think about if Congress decided to open up the door and say, well, you can take it for 10 years instead of five. That would be a huge change. So many more companies would be eligible. And and I think that, you know, five year period is at the point where some companies are kind of pulling their heads out of the sand and saying, OK, what else can I do? Now I'm a little bit more of a mature company. Let's look around at some of these things that we could be doing to you know, smooth cash flow and and lower our 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 tax compliance costs and so that I think would be a really great thing. I'm optimistic that that hopefully Congress is going to bring this up.
0: Of course, and just to state the obvious for what a lot of our listeners must be thinking, but the pandemic, the recommendations, the overall economic shutdown may have hit SMBs the hardest, with companies having to lay off workers, and this of course may have forced them to scale down or pause their R&D projects. What do you think we're going to see from SMBs as distinct from the largest corporations in their recovery efforts from the economic and personal turmoil caused by COVID?
1: I think it can be harder for some smaller companies to be able to make that investment or keep making that investment in development and in taking advantage of credits and incentives that come along with it. And that's a real shame because it's one of the more valuable things that you can do. And R&D tax credit tends to be a project with some of the greatest ROI of, of any project that companies see. And so if small businesses kind of just, you know, don't want to go through the effort or maybe can't afford to have someone help with it, I think they're going to be at a detriment, particularly where we see if some of these incentives get expanded, then, you know, they might be way behind and and it'll only be those larger companies taking advantage. So I do think that it's worth folks taking a look, talking with a trusted advisor, seeing if there's something there. And, you know, maybe if your activities really decrease, let's say you shut down entirely for 2020. Still having those conversations and getting yourself set up for the next year. You know, if you haven't been doing any kind of development or creating new products, new software, improving upon your processes during the pandemic, likely you're going to have to do some catch up once you get everyone back to work. And so, if you can set up to capture that, you're going to have to do it anyway just to compete with other businesses, probably with those larger businesses that might be your competitors. So, uh, you know, thinking through it and getting set up to be able to take advantage is just going to increase your ability to reinvest in those projects. And that kind of just grows the pie for everybody. You know, always look at R&D tax credits and, oh, the government's giving away all this money. But really, it comes back to us, I think, in in a lot of different ways. It means more money, um, more high-skilled, high-paying jobs within the U.S., you know, more people with higher paying jobs means they're going out into the economy and spending more. It really is a catalyst for economic development wholesale. So I really do encourage everyone to at least be aware of their position and how to kind of set themselves up for the future.
0: I'm also interested in your thoughts on whether raising the R&D credit rates, especially boosting the ASC, is the only option we have. The current credit is generous, but who wouldn't want more of a good thing? Uh, are we thinking too narrowly here, and especially in terms of how we might fuel economic growth through allowing SMBs to prosper?
1: There's a lot of things you could do. For instance, currently under current rules, you have to take a haircut on any subcontracted research. So when you're paying a third party to do research on your behalf. We usually get a maximum of eh, typically 65% of that. You know, they could raise that rate to 100%. That would do a lot. It would mean that. We'd probably be more of this kind of collaborative or, or, you know, companies working with each other, paying each other to do work. Raising rates, I think, is probably easiest, simplest to understand. But but other countries also have some other methods that they – Go about expanding some of these eligible expenses. A couple countries allow you to take into account expenses that were incurred in different countries. So in the U.S., we consider it to be a boots on ground credit, where if the activity isn't being performed within the United States or its territories, then you know it's just not considered to be an eligible expense. But we could say that if you're, say, uh, outsourcing software development to another country, maybe all of your coders are sitting in India or Colombia or something like. Like that we could say, yeah, those expenses are eligible as well. That would certainly increase the pool there. There are other countries too that uh, even advance credits. So in the US, uh, you know, we're looking in arrears, you don't get to actually monetize the credit until the year subsequent to the tax year in which you incurred the expense because it's done through the tax return. But in New Zealand, uh, you actually get to apply for and claim credits and, and receive them before the year in which you intend to do that work. And then there's kind of a reconciliation period afterwards. So so that would be another way of getting money in pockets uh, a lot earlier. And again, you know, small business, cash flow is king. So those are things that, that we could see really helping out those businesses.
0: And let's wrap with a fun, but potentially tough question. Uh, what do you think the future of the R&D tax credit is here in the U.S.? Do you foresee us doing something like what Australia is discussing, developing new or clarified credits specifically for startups? We've done it in the past, so it's not too far out there to imagine in that case.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that, that are possible. It's tough to say what's probable, uh, particularly because anytime we're talking about tax legislation, we're talking about a political process. But yeah, I do think that we could see some more maybe targeted benefits that might be particularly for small business. Me personally, I would love to see an allowance for software licenses to be included as an eligible expense. I think this is one area where I think it's used a lot more by startups, but really any company doing development could probably benefit from this. And it just seems illogical to some of us working in the field that that, that wouldn't be an expense that's a potential for, for the credit. And, you know, we say it's because it was, you know, it was created in the 80s and folks just simply weren't thinking about software as being a, a major driver of, of development. But, you know, here we are, it's 2021. I think that that could be something that would really allow a lot more companies to, to claim a lot more benefit.
0: Welcome back everyone. We'd like to thank Lydia for joining us today. We'd like to thank everyone at home for tuning in. Don't forget to check out the entire suite of cross border solutions tax podcasts on Apple podcasts and Spotify. This podcast was hosted by yours truly. Matthew DeMello, Andrew O'Donnell is our audio producer. Stephen Markow is our associate producer and writes our scripts. We'll catch everyone next time.